0: Welcome to the York Story Slam podcast, where we feature select stories from our monthly open mic storytelling events in York, Pennsylvania. On March 21st, eight storytellers shared their story with our audience at Archetype Pizza in downtown York. The theme for our March Story Slam was Hope Springs Eternal. We heard stories about second chances, the search for romantic partners, and the dangers of hope. In the end, Our winner was Mike, with his story of the lead-up to his first junior high school basketball shot.
1: When I saw this month's theme, I was really pleased, because I think March is an ideal time to talk about hope, because what I really love and what I hoped about more than anything else when I was growing up was basketball. And March is the... (laughs) clearly the month for basketball. And the I'd like to tell you about the hopes I grew up with around basketball. Like a lot of kids, I had a driveway behind my house and we had an old garage that was like a barn and my dad had nailed up a hoop and we played back there. And basketball was an ideal sport. You could be by yourself. You didn't need 10 people to play. You could just be by yourself and fantasize about a game, and always hit the winning shot, and and I spent hours back there by myself, just loving basketball. And then my brother started to play high school basketball, and we lived in the town of Waynesburg, which is about 50 miles south of Pittsburgh and about 20 miles north of Morgantown, West Virginia. It gives you an idea of the cultural feel there. and uh, and. And my brother played high school basketball in the the high school gym at Waynesburg High School. And Waynesburg High School was one of those old high school buildings that was built back in the 1930s and it looked like a red brick Parthenon. It was a huge, massive building with big columns and uh, it was kind of the centerpiece of the town. But in that building was the gymnasium where the basketball team played and Unlike most gyms today, there were no bleachers on the same level as the basketball court. The bleachers were all in a balcony that surrounded the court. And so you sat in the balcony and looked down on the game below you. And it was a really cool way to watch basketball. And I grew up watching my brother and his team play and, and then we kept on, we, we went to every game from the time I was in kindergarten till you know, at least through junior high. And we, we always sat in the same spot. We sat in one corner of that <coughs> balcony and we sat in the first row. And that way I could stand in front of the seats in the first row and lean out over that balcony. And I felt like I was part of the game, it was amazing. So, um, So I grew up doing that. And of course as I did that year after year and game after game, I began to envision myself playing in one of those games. And I started to have a very detailed vision of what I would do if I ever got the chance to play on that court. And that I would dribble the ball up that court and cross the half court line, and at the other end of the court from where we sat, there was a scoreboard, and I would be dribbling the ball up up to that end of the court, and at some point I would stop and I would launch a shot, and every time in my vision of it and my hope, it swished through the net. Mm -hmm. So I had that vision constantly for years growing up, and then I finally was approaching seventh grade, and seventh grade was where junior high basketball started, and they played on that same court. So I went out for the team, and I was a little bit worried because at the same time the school district was building a big new high school outside of town, a consolidated district. And in that one, they had a big new gym with the bleachers on the same level as the court, and it wasn't the same at all. I wanted to play on that old court under the balcony. So seventh grade, I thought might be my last chance to do that, I wasn't sure, but I for sure was gonna go out for the team. The other problem I had was our coach, who was a great guy, his name was Homer Schaefer. Junior high consisted of 7th, 8th, and ninth grade players, and Homer was serious about basketball. He wanted to win, so only ninth graders got to play. The 8th graders, they might occasionally get in the game as a substitute. The 7th graders, there were only five of us 7th graders. We were down at the end of the bench. We never got in. We, he told us at the beginning of the year, you're never gonna play. You get to dress for the games, you get to warm up, but you're gonna sit at the end of the bench. So that's what we did. Until we came down toward the end of the year, and we'd had a pretty good year, and we're playing the weakest team in the league on the last game of the year. And Coach Schaefer said, you know, you seventh graders have practiced hard and tried hard all year. You've never gotten in a game. If we have a big lead in the fourth quarter, I'm gonna try to get you in the game. So sure enough, the team played really well. The weak team cooperated, <laughs> didn't play well, and, and suddenly Coach Schaefer called timeout with 40 seconds left, I'll never forget. 40 seconds left, he put all five seventh graders in the game, and he told one of my teammates, you take the ball out of bounds and pass it into Mike. As soon as he said that, I knew I was gonna get a chance to shoot because once I got the ball, nobody else was going to get it. And, and uh, so my friend takes the ball to bounce. He passes it into me. I start dribbling up the court. And it's just like I had imagined it. And I get to half court, which, if you understand basketball, half court is 47 feet from the basket. I got two feet beyond half court. And nobody had come out to guard me yet. And I thought, it's now or never. So I stopped. And I took a 45-foot shot, and it went straight through the net. Swish. And, and I don't know what I did for the next 30 seconds while the rest of the game played out. But I was thrilled, and, and Mr. Schaefer kidded me about having the best uh, shooting percentage on the whole team that year. And uh, so I, I've always associated basketball with hope, and that was a great First lesson in hope for me.
0: Mike earned a spot in our Grand Slam in November. Our next story comes from Carol, who shared about the hope she's found in activism.
2: So I'm Carol, and 10 years ago, I had no idea who my state legislators were. I mean, like, I thought I I was a super voter, you know, I read the Daily Record or the Dispatch, I listened to PBS Nightly News, but I really didn't know what was happening in Harrisburg. And then I retired from Wellspan and I started, like, checking things out. And I was a big immigration advocate at that time. I had lived in different countries, traveled around a lot, and I was an ESL teacher. And I also taught at the detention center we had at that time in York, and I just had my heart was really broken for what, the way we were treating immigrants. So I met with uh, Seth Grove, who's my legislator. And he was so kind, and so sweet, and so wonderful, and I really trusted him. And then afterwards, I found out his policies were completely different. And you know, I just started getting educated. And um, I ended up joining a march. With a group called March to Harrisburg. And it's it's inspired and led by a rabbi, Michael Pollack. And he told me, he said, Carol, he said, no matter, you know, what we try to do, you know, they're not gonna listen to us because it's all about the money. And he said, you know, we're one of five states that doesn't have a gift ban. And activists like us have been trying to get a gift ban passed for 20 years. So join our effort. And so I did. And they taught me to speak truth to power. And I went to Harrisburg at least 40 times, talking to all the legislators. I met with all the 11 here in York County with my friend Steve Snell. We talked to them about the importance of a gift ban. We I wrote at least 20 letters to the editor. I, we did community billboarding, standing on busy streets past the gift ban. <laughs> I did sit ins, I disrupted a press conference, and I got arrested. Six times I got arrested. Good <laughs> yes, good trouble. And you know, the most dramatic one was when we did this march to Harrisburg, and a dozen of us went up into the balcony of the uh, House of Representatives. I had this banner stuck underneath my jacket. And when Terzai, who had promised us over and over again that he was gonna bring the get ban to a floor for a vote and didn't, when he gaveled, we stood up, released the banner, and dropped $501 bills <laughs> onto our legislators <laughs> and disrupted their session. And of course, we got arrested, you know. So I learned that there was a study done by Princeton for 20 years, for 20 years, they looked at 2,000 different public issues, and it didn't matter what the public thought about. It didn't matter. What mattered was who was in power, who were the money people, and that's how they vote. And you know, and but I'm not giving up hope. Spring hopes, you know, is eternal. You now I'm a grandmother. Uh, mother, a great grandmother, and I have this superstar grandson, of course, we're always proud of our grandsons, and he's actually doing his doctorate for NASA. And I said, Brody, do you wonder, do you worry about what's going to happen with this climate crisis? And he said, Grandma, he said, if we don't change things, this planet is doomed. That's why I'm doing this work. You know, and I think about that. And I think about how I can't despair I am not going to despair. I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to let the money rule. And I'm going to continue to fight just like Gandhi fought and just like Martin Luther King fought. And, you know, we're, we're on TikTok. We're on Instagram, not that I know all that stuff really well, and Facebook, and, you know, we have uh, Spotlight PA following us, and we're really making a difference. We're now going to start a 25-city tour all over the different cities in Pennsylvania, including in York, and we're looking for a good location for a downtown event. And uh, so, and we have flyers, Steve and I have flyers, so join our movement or get involved. Don't let despair hit you, okay? Don't despair, because we have to remember, I love Margaret Mead when she said, never forget that a group of conscious and thoughtful citizens can change the world. It's the only thing that ever has.
0: Our final story on this month's podcast comes from Kier, who talks about hanging her hopes on romantic relationships.
3: So hope is a patchwork, right? It's a patchwork of your past and things that you were really hopeful for that maybe didn't carry into the present, or maybe they did. And so you're really hopeful in the present of all the really great things that your future is going to bring. And so I've got a patchwork of hope. And so here are my stories within my story on my journey to happiness. So my first year of college, I met Cole. And Cole was the love of my life. He was everything that I thought I needed in a person. I thought this is it, this is my forever. And I hoped for years and years of happiness, of laying in bed and giggling at night and smoking joints in the morning and eating massive amount of Fruity Pebbles. But Cole and I were very young and our love was very big. And so, ultimately, it ended. And out with Cole went my hope of Saturday mornings watching cartoons like Pokemon and taking walks on our school campus. And so, the hope with that was gone. And so I hoped for someone else. And then along came Kevin. And Kevin was tall and bald, and I didn't ever expect that I would be with someone like that, but it worked. And Kevin was intellectual, and we would have all of these long, deep conversations. And so I thought, this is it. This is my hope for happiness. Kevin is going to be my forever, and we are going to have years of Saturday mornings in coffee shops talking about life and the meaning of the universe and everything in between. But Kevin had his demons, and I was really young, And we moved in together, which was a massive mistake, because one day he looked at me and he was like, I think we spend too much time together. And I was like, I don't think you get the point of living together, so this is not gonna be good. And so, ultimately, Kevin's demons won, and I walked out, and out with me walked my hope of Kevin, of our long intellectual conversations, and our life in our one-bedroom studio apartment with two cats. And I hoped that someone else would come along. And then came Keith. Really, like, you know, the theme of the. K-k-k-k. And so then came Keith. And Keith, oh, he was perfect. He was manly. He was rugged. He was an adventurer. And I thought, this is the hope. This is the future that I am going to have. Finally, he's going to bring me the happiness that I was looking for. And I pictured years of climbing mountains and camping on cliff sides, and I thought that this was gonna be forever. But Keith was very controlling, and he was very manipulative, and slowly but surely, he took away not only my hope for our future, but my hope for my future and who I was as a person and everything I thought I knew about life and love and relationships. So I was like, huh, where's the hope now? I don't think I'm ever going to find anyone. Can I ever trust anyone again? And then came Vince. And Vince is 5'4 on a good day. He loves to eat and he loves our five cats. (laughs) And I thought, you know, this one's really the one. On paper, he is perfect. We love to eat, we love to camp, we love to hike, we love to drink beer. Miller-like girl all the way, so is he. We like to eat, I know I said that already, but that's kind of like the core of our relationship. And so this was like, man, this guy is perfect. He is going to bring me the hope that I have been looking for, and finally, I will have my happiness. And so we bought a house together, after like six months of dating and so we moved in and I was hoping every day I was like when's the ring gonna come when's the ring gonna come I really hope that this works out but for whatever reason Vince was perfect on paper but he wasn't perfect in real life and so no matter how hard we tried we really just couldn't make it work And so now, here I am, this is current, Vince is current. And so here I am trying to figure out how I'm going to get my hope back and how I'm going to get this happiness. And that's when I realized that I have been looking for the happiness in all the wrong places. I have been hoping for someone to come and find me and take me away and bring me into my future of nothing but endless love and joy and happiness and perfection but that's the wrong place. I need to find it in me. And so now I'm selling my house and I'm moving two hours away back to my little teeny tiny hometown that I swore I would never go back to. And that's where I'm gonna find my happiness because I'm gonna find it in me. And so one day, hopefully, I'll, st- I'll stop hoping for all those things because I'll have it and it'll come from me.
0: All the winners from this year's Open Mic Story Slam events will return at the end of the season to compete for the title of Best Storyteller in York at our Grand Slam. Updates on our events are available on our website, YorkStorySlam.com. And while you're there, you can sign up for our monthly newsletter. You can also follow us on Twitter at, at YorkStorySlam, as well as on Facebook, and watch videos of all the stories from our events on our YouTube channel. We hope to see you on stage soon. Thanks for listening.
2: This Story Slam podcast is produced by Catherine Roquet. Theme music composed and performed by David Wilson.